Chapter 13 of Five Mice in a Mouse Trap by the Man in the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marinella Cojocaro. Five Mice in a Mouse Trap by the Man in the Moon by Laura E. Richards. Chapter 13 Off to the Seashore. Uncle Jack was as good as his word, and the next morning was a busy time at the mouse trap. Trunks were packed, jackets were brushed, and wonders were accomplished in the way of getting ready before breakfast. As I looked in my glass, there seemed to be only two rooms in the house where there was no bustle and confusion. One was the nursery, where Puff lay half awake and wondering what all the noise was about, and the other was the room next to it, where my dear little Fluff was kneeling by the bed, praying that her darling sister might be quite all perfectly well very soon. And now the carriage was announced, the goodbyes were softly whispered at the nursery door, and away went four of my mice, leaving the poor old mouse trap quite deserted, with only Mrs. Posset and the cook and faithful Tumpty beside the poor little sick mouse. A few hours' journey on the train brought the travellers to the lovely seashore place where Aunt Grace Wilton was spending the summer. And what was their delight on leaving the train to find Aunt Gracie herself waiting for them with her basket wagon and Max, the pretty black pony. I know Mrs. Wilton, though she does not remember me. I used to pay her frequent visits when she was a child. And now I go to see Roger, her little boy, who is a great friend of mine and a fine little fellow. He had the scarlet fever when he was two years old so that his mother had no fear of his taking it again. Well, how all those mice managed to get into that pony carriage is more than I can tell you, but they did manage it somehow, and after bidding goodbye to their dear Uncle Jack, who was going back in the next train, as he did not like to stay away from Puff, they rolled away at a fine pace toward Glenwood, while Susan followed in the carts with the trunks. A very pretty place Glenwood is, and very much delighted the four mice were when they tumbled out of the carriage and saw Roger waiting to welcome them. Here I will make a little picture of Roger, by the way, as of course a great many of you have never seen him. Hadoo, Nibble, he cried, jumping up and down with joy as he saw his cousins. How do all of you? Come and see my pets. I have a cat and some birds and a rabbit and a lamb because I haven't any brothers and sisters, you know, and a dog big enough to eat them all up. And do you think, Puff, would you like a white kitten? Roger said all this as if it were one word, and it was no wonder that the four mice looked rather bewildered. Gently, Roger, gently, said his mother, laughing. Your cousins cannot understand the word you say if you talk so fast. I heard lamb and kitten, auntie said Fluff sedately, and I should like to see them very much indeed. I want to go down to the beach, please, auntie, cried Nibble. And so do I, said Bright Eyes eagerly. Very well, dears, said Mrs. Wilton. You may run wherever you like, if you are not tired. I shall take little Downy in the house with me, for I see he is very sleepy, and what's a nap. But my chickens, don't you want some lunch before you go out to play? She added standing back from the door. Oh no, auntie, they all cried. We had lunch in the train as much as we wanted. And off they all scampered in different directions, while Mrs. Wilton went into the house 
carrying little sleepy Downy in her arms. Fluff and Roger walked away hand in hand and I tipped my glass so that I could follow. Have you many pets, Fluff? asked Roger. No, replied Fluff. We have only the three dogs and Jose, the brown donkey, and the kitten, that bright eyes found in the tree. But then we have a great many dolls, she added. And I suppose you haven't any dolls because you are a boy. Animals is better than dolls, said Roger. Here is my lamp under his tree. Isn't he lovely? Here, Belladonna, come and have some sugar, dear. The lamb, which was a very pretty one, came up to be petted and ate a lump of sugar with every sign of approval. What did you say his name was? asked Fluff. Belladonna, replied Roger, because he wears a bell, you know. I think it is a very pretty name, but Mama laughs at it. It's medicine, isn't it? said Fluff doubtfully. Well, yes, said Roger, but that doesn't make any difference. Rhubarb is medicine too, and yet it makes nice pies and tarts. So it does, said Fluff. I never thought of that. And have your other pets medicine names too, Roger? The dog is Blanco, replied Roger. I called him that before I had him, because I thought he was going to be white, and Blanco means white. And then he went and was black when he came. But I don't like to change names, so I call him so just the name. And I call my cat Plunkett, after the story of the chattering cat. And the rabbit is Binks. And, oh, well, let us go in and see them for they are all in the playroom, and it is hot out here. And Roger led the way to the house, where Fluff followed meekly, wondering, as she said afterwards to Bright Eyes, how anyone could talk so fast without getting his tongue all tied up with his teeth. In the large sunny playroom, I left the two little ones, having a grand game of romps with Blanco and Binks, while the birds let loose from the cage, flutter about their heads in no fear of the well-behaved cat, who sat and looked at them as she had no idea that they were good to eat. Yes, it was a regular happy family and a very pretty sight. But I wanted to see what Nibble and Bright Eyes were about, so I turned my glass towards the beach, which was not far from the house, though in the other direction. There I found my two eldest mice deep in consultation. Nibble was just saying, but Bright, mermaids don't have legs and tails too, for that would be ridiculous. Don't you remember? The little white mermaidens live in the sea, in a palace of silver and gold, and their neat little tails are all covered with scales, most beautiful for to behold. But it doesn't say anything about legs, and there aren't any in the pictures. I can't help it, Nibble, replied Bright Eyes rather pettishly. I can't cut off my legs, and I'm going to play mermaid. I can be the queen, and queens have everything they want, I know. And she turned round, displaying to my view a superb tail of seaweed, fastened to her sash and trailing upon the ground. Well, said Nibble, it is a lovely tail, after all, but we must take off our shoes and stockings and put them in the fort for the safekeeping. Then we can play wild white horses and mermaid too. The shoes and stockings were soon off and safely hidden in a sand fort of very superior construction. They began a world rushing up and down the smooth sandy beach, with much neighing and kicking on Nibble's part, while Bright Eyes waved her seaweed tail in a graceful and effective manner and sang her song of the mermaids. On wild white horses they ride, they ride, and in chairs of pink coral they sit, they swim all the night with a smile of delight and never feel tired a bit. Look, said Nibble, at that line of rocks running out into the water. 
What fun to jump from one to the other! Come on, Bright Eyes! No sooner said than done. It was no easy matter to jump from one smooth, slippery rock to the next without losing foothold, but that made it all the more exciting. I am the Nixie, said Bright Eyes, and you are the knight who caught her asleep and cut off one of her golden ringlets so that she could not disappear or turn into a fish. Sing down and catch me if you can. She sprang lightly to the next rock and thence to the next, while Nibble, pursuing her, sang. Nixie, white Nixie, I have you now. The magic ringlet is clipped from your brow. You vanish no more neath the shining tide, and I have you and hold you, my snow-white bride. Bright eyes sang again. Hunter, rush hunter, your triumph's not long. Your arms drops down neath the spell of my song. You turn to ice and you turn to stone, and the sea waves laugh as they hear you moan. Here the Nixie waved her tail triumphantly and flirted it in the hunter's face in a way that was too provoking to be endured. The rash youth sprang forward, alighting on the rope and on the Nixie's toe at the same instant. There was a moment of shrieking and clutching at the air as they tried to regain their balance and then, with a loud splash, pursuer and pursued disappeared beneath the water. This was really past a joke and I became much alarmed as for BMF Cakes, that excellent dog, was quite frantic with excitement and his green hair stood on end causing him to present a truly remarkable appearance. In another minute, however, we saw the two brown heads emerge from the water. Nibble clambered up the rock and pulled his sister up after him. Then, breathless and dripping, they jumped and climbed back over the long line of rocks till they reached the shore. They sat down on the beach and looked at each other in silence for a few minutes. Then Nibble said, I say, Bright Eyes, ain't you just glad that Mrs. Posset isn't here? Look at your frock now. Oh, I don't want to look at it, said Bright Eyes. And besides, your knickerbockers are just as bad. But we have lost our hats, Nibble, and they were our best ones. We ought to have taken them off when we took off our shoes and... But goodness me, where are our shoes and stockings? Nibble, where is the fort? I don't see it anywhere. Indeed, it would have been strange if they had seen it, for the rising tide had completely covered it some 15 minutes before. As for the shoes and stockings... Look bright, said Nibble, grasping his sister's arm and pointing to the water. Yes, sure enough, there they were, far out of reach, floating serenely along, the boots nodding a graceful farewell to their former owners as the little waves bore them off on their voyage of discovery, while the stockings, less courageous, had yielded to despair and floated limp and piteous, stretching out their scarlet length in a vain appeal for rescue. This last blow completely sobered the bold spirits of my two mice, and as the loud ringing of a bell proclaimed that dinner time was come, they turned silently and mournfully towards the house. A bee came trembling into my ear, and what do you think he remarked, my dear? He said that two tens made up a score, and really and truly I knew that before. End of chapter 13